Take your Bibles this evening and open them to the book of 2 Timothy, chapter number 3. One more in a series we've been on. Last days, and in those last days are perilous times. And my guess is, over the last seven days, you have been exposed to some perilous times. And so let me address your attention here to verses 1 through 5 in 2 Timothy, and then I'll pick out just one little phrase this evening that we'll spend our time. Verse 1, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such, turn away. This evening we're going to focus in on that little phrase, despisers of those that are good. Dear Lord, tonight we need your help. Spirit of God, would you give us discernment here in our study? Help us to understand what this means. What, what we're going to be facing, Lord, in the end times, that we might recognize it. And uh, Lord, counteract it by having instead your nature. Lord, would you meet with us tonight and give us your direction? Clearly, I pray, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, that phrase, despisers of those that are good, is actually from one original word, but it's a compound word, put two words together. It's the word ah, or letter A, and philogathos, which, which is fond of that which is good, or a promoter of virtue, or a lover of good men. Put them together. Ah negates what follows it, so it's the opposite of, so it's the opposite of being a lover of good men, so it's not a lover of good men, or as translated here, a despiser of good men. Here's some examples to give us kind of an idea of what's being talked about. Jacob was despised in Genesis 27:41, and Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing wherewith his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, the days of mourning for my father are at hand. Then will I slay my brother Jacob. Esau despised his brother for stealing his birthright and his blessing. David was also despised in 1 Samuel 18, 29, and Saul was yet the more afraid of David, and Saul became David's enemy continually. This is crazy when you consider that David was Saul's choicest, his bravest, and most loyal subject. Saul despised him so greatly that he actually had Doeg, one of his warriors, murder the priest named Ahimelech for helping David. Along with that, he killed 85 priests and the city of Nob in 1 Samuel 22:18. And the king said to Doeg, Turn thou and fall upon the priests. And Doeg the Edomite turned, and he fell upon the priest and slew on that day fourscore and five persons that did wear a linen ephod, the priests. And Nob, the city of priests, smote he with the edge of the sword both men and women, children and sucklings, and oxen and asses and sheep with the edge of the sword. Why did he act so violently against the priests? Because one of them had the audacity 
to help David, the man that he despised. Jesus was despised. In Psalm 22:6, But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised of the people, he said. In Isaiah 53, 3, speaking of the Messiah, Jesus, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Here are some examples in the scriptures of men despising other men. Well, here's some biblical truths about this despising. In Luke 10, 16, He that heareth you, Jesus said, heareth me. And he that despiseth you, despiseth me. And he that despiseth me, despiseth him that sent me. So our association with Jesus will likely make us despised to some. I think it was Pastor Vanderhart was with me, I believe. And some time ago, we were out door knocking, and we ran across a man in a garage, and another man, a friend in there, was just drinking, and we went to share the gospel. They weren't interested, and as we were leaving, walking out the driveway, one of the men, the men was the drinking, or whatever, um, followed us out in not too polite a manner. And we stood in the street, and he was, he was telling us how wrong we were in no uncertain terms, and he told us that he had made it his life's mission to convince people there was no God. We, to him, were despicable. He despised us. I had been friendly. I, I put on deodorant. I, I brushed my teeth. I, I, didn't, I didn't call him any names, but I had the audacity to associate myself with Jesus. And because I said we're from his church, we were despised. In 1 Thessalonians 4, 8, He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God, who hath also given unto us his Holy Spirit. You see, man's despising is actually against God. There's something in man that rebels against submitting to God, and he despises the thought. In Proverbs 1, 7, it says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Notice, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. So the idea here behind this phrase, despisers of those that are good, is our goodness either makes the wicked feel guilty of their sin, or it frustrates them in their mission to spread evil. In either case, they despise that which is good in us. So that's the, the negative. In the last days, these perilous times, we're going to run against people that are despisers of those that are good. What's our response to be? Or what would the opposite of that be? In Titus 1.8, But a lover of hospitality, as he's given a list of those requirements for someone going into the pastorate, a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men. Remember how I said that word, despisers of those that are good, was a compound word, awe, and then another fancy word, well, here is just that fancy word without the awe. Um, lover of good men. Sober, just, holy, temperate. So the man of God, the person going into the ministry, needs to be a lover of good men. Not a despiser, but a lover of good men. Men 
need, regardless of their rough exterior, men need male fellowship. Some of us are pretty independent fellas. I remember times where my dad said, I just want to be a hermit. I want to get away from people and be a hermit. Um, it would have killed him because he, he loved being around people. If you knew my dad at all, every time he's in service, he just gravitates toward people. He loved people. Iron sharpens iron. And men need that, that time together, just, just, to, mm, just to be with each other, just to encourage each other. In Job 2 and verse 11, Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place. Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite, for they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and to comfort him. Now, if you know the story, you know it goes downhill very quickly thereafter. But at this point, this is really good. Job went through this time of, of the whole world falling apart. He lost everything, and so he had three friends, supposed friends, learned of his situation, and they came to encourage him. They had no idea how to do it and royally blew it, but here we see that he had men that, to come alongside him and, and to be an encouragement. We try to provide in the church and are working to provide more activities to provide for this male fellowship. One area in which we have male fellowship is church services. I love it. I love walking around and shaking hands. I love talking to different people. I love learning more about you and what's going on. I, I love that. I love seeing our guys out in the hall talking and just, just shoot the breeze. I, I, I love that. To me, it's, it's so encouraging. Church fellowships are good places for us just to, just to talk. Cottage prayer meetings. I have been so blessed as, at least in our home, I think some of the other ones do this. We'll have the guys break off and the girls break off and the guys go in to pray and the ladies pray. And just that, that, that time of sharing requests and praying together as men is such an encouraging time. We just came back here a couple weeks ago from an overnight camp out. We men, tough guys, go out there and brave the elements and the, and the outside. You know what? In those times around the campfire and leading up to that, I learned some things about some of our men I never knew before. They'll open up sometimes in ways that, that they would have never opened up at church. But out there in the fresh air and, and, and the potential of bear attacks, all those things, there's just this, this sweetness of fellowship as we enjoy this, this bonding time. We've had a couple off-road activities. Saturday mornings around 7 o'clock here is a wonderful male bonding time because we have men that meet together for prayer breakfast. And, and we have a chance to just share some thoughts from the scriptures and, and uh, to pray with each other and have a nice breakfast. But men need male fellowship. What is one of the things that's troubling our nation today? One of the things are the numbers of the immense numbers of uh, single parent homes where there's no dad. For one reason or another, the dad has, is not part of the picture. So the children are being raised in a non-male environment. And that's one of the contributors to some of the situations we see in our country today. Men need male fellowship. Men need men whose goodness will challenge them and encourage them. Be a lover of good men. 
In Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. Now my sisters knew how to provoke me, but this says to provoke to love and to good works. And where do we do this? Verse 25, Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another, and so much more, as ye see the day approaching. We ought to be encouraging one another in love as we meet together in church. In 1 Samuel 18, 1, we learn that Jonathan loved David. Jonathan loved him. Why? For his bravery? For his bold faith in God? And it came to pass, when he had made an end of speaking unto Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. A man named Hiram. Hiram was the king of Tyre. Tyre and Sidon were were port cities, and both those cities were known as being really wicked cities. Much entertainment in that area went on in, in, in Tyre and Sidon. Hiram was a king of Tyre, and he loved and respected David as a leader. We see this in 1 Kings 5.1. And Hiram, king of Tyre, sent his servants unto Solomon, for he had heard that they had anointed him king in the room of his father, for Hiram was ever a lover of David. There was this mutual admiration between these two kings. They, they, they appreciated each other's character level. In Psalm 16, verse 2 and 3, David writes, O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, Thou art my God. My goodness extended, extendeth not to thee, but to the saints that are in the earth, and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. In whom is all my delight, David wrote. David had a special love for those who were righteous. Men need fellowship with men. Men need to be loved. In Psalm 142, verse 3 and 4, when you think of tough men, I think of David. David was a man's man. He was a warrior. He was a leader of men. When David was exiled out of the palace, David attracted to him the outcasts. All of the outcast men there. And they came running to David. David became their leader. And these were powerful men with attitude problems. David became their leader. He writes in Psalm 142, 3 and 4, When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that would know me. Refuge failed me. No man cared for my soul, David said. David spent times lonely and overwhelmed. In Psalm 31, verse 9 and following, Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am in trouble. Mine eye is consumed with grief, yea, my soul and my belly. For my life is spent with grief, and my years with sighing. My strength faileth because of mine iniquity, and my bones are consumed. I was a reproach among all mine enemies, but especially among my neighbors, and a fear to mine acquaintances. They that did see me without fled from me. 
I'm forgotten as a dead man out of mind. I am like a broken vessel, for I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. I can't imagine what David must have felt when Saul mounted up his entire army to try and find and destroy David. Everybody, he said, was against me. Everybody. David needed to be loved when he was lonely and overwhelmed. He needed to be loved when he was misunderstood and sorrowing. In Psalm 69, 20, he writes, Reproach hath broken my heart, and I am full of heaviness, and I looked for some to take pity, but there was none. And for comforters, but I found none. David needed love when he was brokenhearted. In Job chapter 19, verses 13 and 14, He hath put my brethren far from me, and mine acquaintance are verily estranged from me. My kinsfolk have failed, and my familiar friends have forgotten me. Here's Job having lost everything, and he's sitting in an ash heap, scraping his wounds. He's all alone. All alone. Even his wife. All alone there. Job, when he was abandoned, needed somebody to love him. And in 2 Timothy 4, 16 and 17, At my first answer, no man, Paul writes, stood with me, but all men forsook me. I pray God that it may not be held to their charge. Notwithstanding, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me, that by me the preaching might be fully known, and that all the Gentiles might hear, and I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. Paul, when standing alone for truth, needed someone to love him. In the end times, the perilous times that are coming, and I believe we're in, men will be despisers of those that are good. But perhaps more than ever, there will be men who need to be loved. How do we respond to despisers? Well, you despise them, after all. When somebody's despising you, how do we respond? Interestingly enough, the minor prophet, Old Testament of Amos, I found an interesting verse. Amos 5:14, Seek good and not evil, that ye may live, and so the Lord, the God of hosts, shall be with you as ye have spoken. Hate the evil, and love the good, and establish judgment in the gate. It may be that the Lord God of hosts will be gracious unto the remnant of Joseph. In other words, make goodness a priority. Seek it. Seek good. Seek that which is good. Look for it. Try to find it in people. Try to find goodness behind that exterior that you see and treat them as you want to be treated. How did David treat Saul? Saul wanted to kill him. He took that javelin when he was in the palace and he, he cast it at David three times trying to kill him. If that wasn't enough, he ordered his army to find him and kill him. 
What did David do to Saul? David writes in Psalm 35, verse 11, False witnesses did rise up. They laid to my charge things that I knew not. They rewarded me evil for good to the spoiling of my soul. David was mistreated. Saul paid off folks to lie about David. So what did David do? Psalm 35, 13. But as for me, David says, when they were sick, his enemies, his chief enemy being Saul, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer returned into mine own bosom. In other words, when they were sick, I prayed for them. I grieved for them. I mourned for them. I behaved myself as though he had been my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as one that mourneth for his mother. When he was sick, I treated him just like he was my brother. When David's despiser, Saul, was sick, David humbled himself with sackcloth. He fasted. He behaved himself as if he had been treated fairly by a friend, and he sincerely mourned for him. Lastly, I want to share with you what I found interesting, and it, it's, it's, it's some history, but it takes this concept of being despisers of good men, and I believe it illuminates for us. Persecution purges the church. Now, I don't like persecution. I don't like to think about it. We've talked a lot in 1 Peter about being persecuted and suffering, and I'm glad we're pretty much getting past that stage. But the Bible still says something about, yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Persecution purges the church. Muscles must be exercised to be strong. Otherwise, they atrophy. If you don't use a muscle, you're going to lose it. After the work of the apostles, after Jesus went to heaven, the apostles went to work, spreading the gospel and building churches. During that time, Christianity exploded. They exploded under the persecution and pressure of some horribly wicked Roman emperors. It seemed like the greater the persecution, the greater the growth. Emperors like Nero reigned in terror with cruel tortures. Christians were thrown to lions during this time. They were beheaded. They were crucified. They were used as entertainment to the bloodthirsty pagan crowds. Christians were hated by the Roman leadership as well as the leaders of Judaism. But for the next 300 years, Christianity thrived. Churches were spread around the globe. It was amazing how Christianity just exploded during this time for 300 years under persecution. After, however, 10 Roman emperors... A man named Constantine came on the scene who was crowned and had been under the influence of Christianity. He converted 
And he decreed that the national religion would become Christianity. No longer is it offense. During that time, the church began taking a greater role in political policies. Following the Constantine dynasty, so Constantine himself passed away, his children who ruled after him passed away. After that, a decree was allegedly forged granting the political power to the state, to the church leader, to become the church leader, the pope, meaning the pope became the political leader. With its new freedom from persecution and elevation in society, the church began to flounder. The church lost its distinction from the world, the world who had hated them previously. As it did, it also lost its spiritual effectiveness. Because the church was no longer under pressure, it lost its effectiveness. It grew lazy. It grew weak. It was not exercising its muscles. Many years later, pilgrims made their way across the ocean to this great country. Those pilgrims were strong in their faith. They were good people who brought their Christian principles and ideals. Their faith had been hardened, enabling them to endure the almost impossible circumstances they faced. But their strength had come from decades of persecution in their homeland. Their strong faith in God had made them willing to launch out against all odds to establish a new life in a new world. Today, we have grown up with religious freedom. No persecution. For decades, Christianity has received preferred status in this country. Presidents made major decisions based upon principles from God's Word and often quoted passages of Scripture during their presidencies. But instead of growing stronger, we've become anemic. We now have little stamina and less resolve. Hardships cause us to get angry at God and threaten to leave the church. In the last days, true Christians will once again be despised. The Lord made an interesting comment. He said, in the last days, when I return, will I find faith on the earth? Will I find faith? Now, years ago, as a kid, I was growing up in, in churches, and churches were so strong. And, of course, back in the 80s, there was such a, an explosion of these mega churches, these good churches, big churches, and people getting saved right and left, and missionaries around the world. It was so powerful. But since that time, we've seen just the opposite. And reading statistics of church attendance is really sickening. I told you just recently, I told you that over the last year or so, we've had several people comment that they've tried to find a church open on Sunday nights. And we're one of the few remaining. Now, that's so contrary to when I was growing up. 
All Baptist churches had Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. They were all like that in those days. What's happened? Well, we no longer need church like we used to. We don't need all that preaching. We're okay. I'm okay. You're okay. We're all right. We can get along without Christ. We got one time on Sunday mornings, after all, years ago they just went to church. That's all we need now. The problem is, in, first, or in, 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 uh, in Hebrews 10.25, it says, as regarding assembling yourselves together, it says, even more so, as ye see the day approaching. Why? Because what we fail to understand is when the persecution removes and we no longer are forced in our faith. We're not, no longer forced to stand up for Christ. If you're a true Christian, you're no longer forced to stand out. You can just meld in with everybody else. You can look like everybody else. You can sound like everybody else. You don't need to go to church all the time. If that's the case, then what's going to happen? We're going to get weaker and weaker and weaker as the church. In the last days, true Christians will be despised. Everything good and godly will be scorned and considered to be what is wrong with the world. And we're just starting to see that rear its head. That which is causing the world's problems, quite frankly, are you a bunch of Christians. It's your fault. You're, you're the ones causing the problems. If you would just get lockstep with everybody else and become tolerant, we're supposed to be tolerant. We're supposed to be tolerant, they militantly say about us. Be tolerant. They're tolerant about everything except for Christianity. They don't tolerate us. True persecution, including being despised, may be the only thing that will strengthen once again the church and will make us the lights in the world that Christ left us to be, if it's not too late. When I return, will I find faith on the earth? I was so blessed this morning, over well over a year ago now. I've shared this before, but I have I'm just excited I gotta share it because you're some of you paid um, invested in this. We're out door knocking and I knocked on a young man's door and he came to the door and, and uh, we struck up a conversation over politics, go figure. I told him I'm from the church. And he says, funny, you'd come by. He said, I've, I just recently, he said, I don't know if I believe in God or anything like that, but he said, I just recently been thinking about how in the early days, the establishment of our country, how there's so many evidences or so many references to God. He said, and I don't know if I, if I believe in God, but. I said to him on that day, I said, would you care if I came back and just spent some more time with you? He said, that'd be okay. A couple weeks later went by and we went out and sat on his front porch. And I talked for a half hour, 45 minutes with him and I went to the gospel. And he took it, was very polite, didn't believe in God. And over the next many, many, many months, I went by, shared with him the gospel and I must have went through it a hundred different ways. Well, one day I remember sitting with him and almost out of the blue, he said, I think I'm ready. 
I'm ready for what? Well, I, I think I'm ready to believe. <laughs> so we, I went through it very thoroughly once again. And we bowed our heads, and on that day, he, in his front porch, he bowed his head and trusted Christ. And I said, listen, you need to get to church. Well, I had a problem. He had a problem. He, he, uh, his wife works and, uh, and was unable to, and he cares for his stepson, and the dad of the son refuses to let me go to church. He said, I really can't come to church. So, so I started going by on Saturdays often and, and discipling him, talking, sharing the gospel, trying to get him to church, trying. So this is a, over a year-long process here. Um, this morning, he came to church. Praise the Lord. And brought his brother, brought his stepson, and uh, I was so blessed. Now, I honestly don't know if I'll ever get him back in the church door again. I don't know. Because this is like a, he was like a cap at a new gate because he didn't know church. He just hadn't been to church. So this is all brand new to him. And I got to thinking, one of my desires that I know is yours is to be a lighthouse in our community, to shine brightly for Christ. Now, if we win people to Christ out there in the world, why do we somehow think that all of a sudden they're going to get all cleaned up and they're going to know everything we do and they're going to come in and they're going to hold their Bible right, they're going to dress right, they're going to talk right and smell right and say all the right words. Why do we think that? They're going to come in and they're going to be pretty rough sometimes. And they're not going to act like us sometimes. And quite frankly, they're going to get upset at certain things. But just like with you, over enough time, the Lord Spirit, the Spirit of God working in your heart begins to conform you. And so our responsibility is not be like the despisers of the world. Our responsibility is to be lovers of the good. Always looking for that which is good in people. Sharing the gospel wherever. Yesterday we were out and knocked on the door. This man comes to the door and he had, he had hair, hair down to here. I'm going to guess he was 40 years old or something like this. And and, and I'm confessing a sin. My first reaction was, here we go, here's a hippie. You know, has no love of God, doesn't even know who God is. He's probably smoking something. You know, that's my first reaction. I shouldn't do that. I should have learned by now. We start talking a little bit, and come to find out, he does, it's not a church like ours, but he goes faithfully to church, and he loves God. And, and was very pleasant with us. I left with a good testimony, give him a, give him a track. But we need to be lovers of that which is good. And we need to be open, open our arms to people and be willing to love them as they are and stop waiting for them to change before we love them. Did Jesus wait for you to change before he loved you? Despisers are those that are good. I think I've hammered that long enough. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your love, and thank you for blessing us, and thank you for giving us this, this insight of what it's going to be like in the end times. And Lord, I have every reason to believe that we are living those days right now. And so help us, Lord, to reflect your nature. Help us to be lovers of men, and Lord, lovers of good men. And I pray, Lord, that we might be willing to see people the way you do. And Lord, particularly among our church folks, help us to love one another. Thank you for this great body of believers, and I pray, Lord, that you might help us to grow even more effective in our winning people to you. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen.